Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. Got a special co-host with me today. Who are you? I'm Zoe. Got my kid Zoe here. She's 13 years old and she comes on the show every so often. It's been a long time, Zoe. I think it's since I was 12. I think it's a yearly thing now. Once a year podcast co-host, Zoe Groves. Happy to see you here, Zoe. Thank you for coming to the studio. You're welcome. I know the commute was rough on you today. It was. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So today on the podcast, we got kind of a big show for you. We're really excited about this. Uh, By the way, this is our second time recording it because I failed the first time. We're redoing the whole thing. Hopefully we can hold on to the magic. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We shall see. So today on the show, we're going to chat with Michael Willette. We're going to find all about his new invention called Spread Him. He's got a Kickstarter going, which the Fish nerd, Nerds have backed. We're excited about that. The crappy hippie in our Fish Nerds effing essayist, Tim Beat, is with us. They have a brand new segment called Lure Love. We're excited to share that with you. We'll do Fish in the News, and we're going to talk about the filet o fish gods. So a lot going on on tonight's podcast. Zoe, what do you want to start with today? I don't care. Whatever you want. Why don't we jump right in with our brand new segment? Because it's new. Let's open with it. Like the big open. Like, ta-da. Here we go. So we're going to open with a brand new segment. Here is the crappy hippie in the Fish Nerds Essayist. Essayist. That's fun to say. That is. Essayist. Tim Beat with their new segment called Lore Love. Hooray! (laughs) Settle. Settle down. Settle down. All right. Here they go. (laughs) Hey, everybody, and welcome to Lure Love, our new segment on Fish Nerds Tonight. My name is John King, the crappie hippie, your tree-hugging redneck from eastern Kansas, and I'm also co-founder of Glasswater Angling for a Better Outdoors. We make lead-free fishing tackle, and uh, that's one reason I wanted to do this segment. I'm into lure history. I'm into designing lures. I'm into where they've been, where they're at, and where they're going, and uh, got this idea quite a while ago, and I was just looking for the perfect person to jump in on it with me and i met this guy on the fish nerds facebook group and uh hey everybody say hello to tim b tim how how did i talk you into coming along on this crazy venture well you didn't have to talk me into it i am lure crazy i am just a lure fanatic i like buying them i like looking for them i like you know when you get those big bins of lures that are on sale and going through i like watching youtube videos about how they're made i like the history everything about it i am a fanatic well Man, we were we were made for each other, and and uh, Fish Nerds has brought us together. So, um, tell me about this club that you joined. You didn't you join some sort of lure club or something like that? Yeah, just this week. It's there. I was searching online, and there's actually a National Fishing Lure Collectors Club, and these people are great. So these are people who collect, know the history of lures. They have these. Um, conferences where they put the lures on display. Um, but see, I'm, I'm a little different. I don't collect lures in the traditional way. Most of these guys, they have antique lures. 
So they put them in those beautiful display cases, John, and things like that. But I have a different technique. This is what I do to display my lures. I buy new lures and I carefully display them in stumps and rocks and trees and <laughs> rivers and lakes everywhere. I think I've seen some of your art. I, I think I have. I, I have. I, I'm sure you have. And other people, I think, collect them the same way. Because sometimes I find other people's art. Don't you love, you're in a river and you find a nice lure that's there. Isn't that a great present? Oh, that's the best. That's the best thing about, you know, August is that the water goes down and you can walk around on the lake shore, go over the river and and stuff that was under, you know, four feet of water is now sticking out on dry land. And boy, yeah, the pickings can get really good. It's, it's infectious. It's fun. Um, you just showed me something here. What, what, what are you into now? You've got yourself a little hopper with your own uh, artismo uh, put on there. Tell me, tell, tell the listeners what you're up to with uh, the lure blanks. Yeah, I started. I found some cheap lure blanks online and um, watched a couple YouTube videos. And I don't have all the airbrush equipment and everything, but what I've been doing is buying cheap nail polish and trying out testing. And I wondered if it would smell too much, if the fish wouldn't like it. But I'm doing pretty well with fishing with them so far, and it's uh, it's kind of nice. I'm not huge into hard baits. I'm more of a, a jig fisherman, soft bait. But it's kind of fun when you make something yourself and then you go out and catch a fish. There's nothing better than that. I agree 110%. And that's what's got me into uh, making my own jigs when I was like 10 years old. I've been fiddling with lures, especially wire baits like jigs and spinners ever since. Um, nothing wrong with that nail polish. That's what we always use. You've got your sister running around the house. Where's my pink passion nail polish with the silver <laughs> sparkles in it? You're, I don't know. Why, why would you come in here? Yeah, totally, totally, totally. So what are we talk? What's our topic tonight, Tim? Well, you know, we looked at all the lure types out there, and tonight we're going to talk about topwater frogs because you've got the soft ones, the hard ones, the hollow bellies, weedless. There's so many different types, and who doesn't like a big blast of water on top? Oh, everybody loves a topwater frog, and I mean, um, I'm not as familiar with it as as other people, but... Uh... And I need, you know, need to get to the store. And it's a problem with making your own stuff. A lot of times you're, you're reluctant to go buy it, but uh, you can't beat the uh, engineering and the, the ideas that have gone into some of these frogs. And um, now I, I had a buddy that had a topwater rat in his box and I used it all morning oh, back in June and boy, I had a ball with it. So uh, yeah, the topwater frog is revolutionized fishing in the scum, in the fallout from all this fertilizer and stuff that we put on farm fields and lawns and stuff, created a lot of perfectly good ponds, especially in suburban and urban environments where it's just nothing but, you know, maybe a little clear spot in the corner and the rest of it's a mat of algae. Well, these kids, they figured out there's fish under that algae. All you got to do is how, how to get them. And, and along came the lure industry with the scum frog. Now, John, you found some pretty cool historical frogs out there they, when you're in doing some research, some really old ones. Yeah, I did, actually. We got a uh, Bassmaster website. Bernie Schultz had the lowdown on the original weedless topwater frog, patent date February 5th, 1895. Can you believe that? Incredible. One of the first or maybe one of or maybe the first use of rubber in the lure making business, it was the hot new material for a lot of applications. Um, and Hibbard Spencer and Bartlett Company um, put it together in the form of a mold. And perhaps Hastings was the designer guy, but it came painted beautifully, hand painted. Each and every one was painted like a leopard frog. 
which is a good pick because they're actually um, bass hit plenty of bullfrogs and other kinds of frogs, but there's something about leopard frogs that uh, really sets them off. Although we, we may argue whether they can even see what's painted on that thing. Here in a little bit. They're bite size, John. It's it's like a, one of those little hot dogs and a, and a, <laughs> a toothpick through it for a bass. That's a, a, a bite size or dirt for a bass, a little leopard frog. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and he recommended a book that you can get Don Wheeler, the frog lure collector's guide. So look up Don Wheeler. If you love frog lures, I went to uh, a lure club site, not the one that you joined, but I found so many cool frogs. Uh, I'm going to have to limit it. Um, but the next thing I want to talk about is the Ketchum's frog casting frame. And uh, this more is like the frog torture frame. <laughs> it, 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 most, we got a picture down in the show notes. You got to see this thing. It, it is like something straight out of hell. I'm sorry for the sensitive listeners, but that's what it looks like. Uh, patent 1904. And yeah, it's a frame with like, you know, six hooks on it. Uh, you lay a live frog on it and you puncture it through his little hands and his little his little legs and you can throw the whole frame out and and as you yank him across the water he'll look like he's swimming and even after he's gone on to his frog reward you can still keep fishing him with the catchums frog casting frame but if you see from look down at the picture you can see that this thing is so far from being weedless um not to, you know it, it uh, whatever the opposite of weedless what would that be tim weedful weed it, it would plenty of weeds Plenty of weed, plenty of weed. Okay, for you the could hay catch hay a big bass and get a salad with it. Yeah, yeah, it would uh, drag in the whole shrub with it. Um, so a lot of guys, you know, uh, different ideas on how to conquer the the weedlessness. Um, different, you know, wires and different things they would put on them. But one of the best ideas, I don't know if it was in terms of performance, but one that amused me the most was the G Wiz Frog. The kick that gets them quick, made by All Star Bait Company, Chicago, Illinois, Kirka, nineteen thirty, and um, this guy, this little hard body, has hard body, kind of like a mullet because it's like hard body in the front and soft in the back, and it had these little arms that came down, and you could buy the deluxe model had a little set of wheels that went on those arms, so that it would float, 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 and then maybe when you came to a submerged log, the little wheels would. <laughs> allow you to bring it up over the log or onto the lily pad and then off the other side um and then it the the uh, the the lure tie was a piece of string um that so when you yank the lure it would make the legs kick but uh yeah the gee whiz frog the kick that gets them quick so now john the first top fro water frog i ever owned it was a bill Plummer weedless super frog this was in the in the 70s yes and um it's yes. amazing when i look at my tackle box because i still have antique lure sitting in my tackle box but it was made of foam so it wasn't a hollow body solid foam had a single hook that came out the bottom and then a really thin wire weed garden it, it was light green with a white belly um and i grew up in new england bill Plummer was a new england guy um but here i don't know if you know the story about how he invented the frog lure it, it's great 19, 1957, he has a five-year-old daughter who goes to the dentist. And you remember as a kid, you go to the dentist, you get your teeth cleaned, you get to pick a prize. Okay, yeah, yeah. She picked this little rubber frog and had a, <laughs> an air bulb, and you squeeze the bulb, and the frog would hop. So she goes to bed that night. What does Bill do? Bill takes a weedless hook and puts it through the frog. 
And he, he, it worked so well for him that he ordered a whole bunch of these frogs from overseas. And then eventually he designed it and uh, got somebody to manufacture it and um, made a lot of money doing it and uh, just had a, a great time. But the question that I had was, what if his daughter had picked instead of that frog, like a plastic pink unicorn? Think about what we, we'd be fishing with top water today. We'd have big treble hooks and pink unicorns and be dragging them across the lily pad. So we were lucky she picked that frog. We are lucky. But then again, see, now I've got all these ideas for, you know, the unicorn lure, right? <laughs> I want to know how he bought her off. How, you know, daddy, what happened to my frog? Um, uh, hopped away. Cat, hopped away. Cat Didn't see you it. Know, you know, would you like some ice cream? Lady, yeah. you know. Don't worry about the frog. We'll get you another one. We'll take you back. We'll screw up your teeth with ice cream, take you back to the dentist. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. So I went on to Amazon. If you search on Amazon, there's more than 700 topwater frog lures just on Amazon. And so you got, you know, the lunker hunt and booyah and scum frogs and runkle frogs. And, you know, a lot of them look the same now. It's not when you look at the antique ones, they were so different, you know, hand carved and um, everything. But I tell you what, there's a lot of choices in um, colors, sizes, kind of you name it. It's crazy, isn't it? Crazy. Um, now, when we uh, talk about frogs and fishing frogs, let's do this real briefly. Um, you know, you've got the traditional just throw it and reel it back slow. The traditional pump, pump, you know, kick, 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 pause, kick, 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 pause, like like frogs. But there's a lot of other retrieves you can do with these. There, there, yeah, there definitely are. And I, I think the one problem that most people have is they don't fish slow enough. So, you know, I, there have been times when you're you're retrieving a frog and nothing's going after it. And if you let the thing sit there for a full minute, you'll get yeah. a fish hook, a bass will come up and take it. And I tell you, I was just fishing last weekend and I could see the bass in this river and they weren't really feeding, but they would, I'd throw out something on the top water. And you'd watch one of these bass look at it for a long, long time. And then you twitch it a little bit and they would go after it. But it was amazing. They were staring down the topwater baits. And I think that's the problem with frogs sometimes. You know, it's fun when you're moving the frog quickly and they're busting the surface. But a lot of times fish are kind of sitting back. And so I think you need to fish frogs slower than most people do. All right. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I couldn't agree more. Um, in the spring, a lot of times you can get away with a more active retrieve, but as summer comes along, it gets hot, and then fall when they have so many different forage choices, um, it's one of those things where you know they're pretty content, or they're for some reason, yeah, they're not on the feed, they're just resting. But like, you make it look good enough, you know, you slow it down, you keep in front of them long enough. Kind of like a Thanksgiving, you know, oh, I'm too full to have the pie. And then you're sitting there and every time you walk past the table, there's the pie sitting there. And finally, you're just like, all oh, right, I'll have some pie. You know, you, I've that kind of fishing drives me crazy. You know, I'm, I'm a total spastic. So it's really hard for me to to sit there and count to, to 20 or, or, or wait for a full minute. But, you know, the biggest bass I ever caught and it's no record setter. It was somewhere between five and six pounds, but was ex doing exactly that. But it was on a hot, hot July night, and just I, I sat there for ten minutes on that point, and just I probably twitched that lure twice. Well, how many times, John, has it happened to you that something goes wrong with your reel? You got a, a tangle or something, you're fixing it, and all of a sudden there's a fish on the line. 
Because, and, and, and your lure was just sitting there, whether it was top water, whether it was with a, a, a jig. And so it, it definitely works. I'll tell you what I've been fishing with a lot this year is a Mr. Twister hog frog. Now this is, it's not a top water. It's a solid plastic, soft plastic frog. It's, um, it's buoyant, but it, you can fish it on a jig head or you can fish it um, weedless and great to cast along the shorelines. But now and then Mr. Twister site, they have like a bargain basement. And I got like 40 of these frogs for two or three bucks and they're wow. dynamite. It's a, it's a very good frog lure. Cool. Yeah. Wow. And it's fun. And I've caught a lot of bass this year with them. So I have a question for you though, John. So okay. I, I took a philosophy course in college and the professor asked if you put a frog in a blender and you turn the blender on, when does it stop being a frog? When does it cease to be a frog? And I thought, well, that's an excellent question. So the question I have for you is, if a lure has a frog pattern on it, but it's not in the shape of a frog, is it a frog lure? So say you take a crappy dueler and you make it in a frog pattern. Is it a frog lure or not? Because there's a lot of lures out there that have the, the coloring, a pattern of a frog, but they don't look anything like a frog. You know, that is an excellent question because, of course, in all the study, I, I, I we want to keep this segment um you know, reined in, but I came across plenty of quote unquote, you know, hard baked frogs and um, all the shapes and, you know, different approaches to the hard bait, you know, and some of them, yeah, they're just nothing but a, but a frog pattern. Um, I say, if you call it a frog, it's a frog that you're going to get in trouble. I can already see that smirk on your face. You're going to get in trouble, right? Well, what about a crackle frog spoon? Now that is not, that doesn't float. That doesn't have an eyeball. That doesn't have nothing. So I think it's just like a lot of things you're going to have to, if, if the lure manufacturer calls it a frog, I guess we're going to have to go along with it. And this has probably happened to you too, John. You ever been fishing with a, one of those red and white bobbers and a bass oh. comes up and smacks the bobber? Oh, yeah, yeah. I assume they think it's a, the belly of a frog that's sitting up there. So yeah, you never know. So I don't, we, you don't have bobbers. You're fishing with an artificial frog float. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and kind of close this out tonight. Let's talk about that real quick. You know, my question back to you, Tim is, you know, do, is that pattern exclusively to catch fishers or do you think that under certain conditions, the, the uh, fish can see, you know, part of the top or, or any part of the top, depending on, you know, their angle of approach, or is it just strictly to catch fishers that on a top water, what's on the backside of it? It's a great question, John. You know, there, I've read a lot of research on what bass see and don't see and, you know, the colors and everything. And then you got some debris in the water and you got the, uh, the surface reflection and, um, you know, maybe weeds and all the other things there. I think what's interesting with your topwater frogs is a lot of them have beautiful colors on the back, but white bellies. So if you turn them all, if you turn your collection of frogs over, they do look pretty much the same from the bottom, but they don't show the bottom when they're advertising them. They show you the, 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 uh, the back of them. There's a lot of things that are done with lures that are more to catch the fishermen. And we like, I mean, that's not a bad thing. If it instills confidence in you and you feel like, Hey, this is going to work. I'm a big believer in that. I think psychological, games and fishing kind of go together. Um, but there, you know, if it's white on the bottom, I do wonder, even if they're seeing the edge, is it really that much difference where they would have hit one frog and not another? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I, you know, it's hard to be sure about that. Yeah. Cause they're all either white, whitish yellow or yellowish white or whatever, you know, very similar. Um, the, you know, and there's no studies on it. Um, 
maybe one day somebody will get funded to go out and figure this out. I know that there's been studies on trout flies and that trout, the light that shines through a trout fly, a dry fly on the surface, and the, you know, it's sticking in the surface film the way it does, though it can make a real difference on how trout perceive that lure. And of course, light shining through the water through, you know, a subsurface lure, especially one that has the ability to transmit some light, like, like a plastic or a, or a hair jig or something like that, you know, can make a difference. But it's hard for me, you know, I, a devil's horse wouldn't be a devil's horse without those big old eyes on the back. And they want you to buy more than one of them, or they'd have just made them all white or white and red. And uh, and if it, they're all white and red, we'd still buy a ton of them. Yeah, yeah, we probably, you know, <laughs> really. I mean, you know, but you got to, you know, that's what makes it a devil's horse, those cool eyeballs. And I don't know if bass can approach at enough of an angle to, you know, see that. On the other hand, we all have had that strike the minute the lure hits the water, so we know we, they can see them coming through the air. They'll be sitting there right there and they'll watch it just like an outfielder and get on right. it. And as soon as it hits, um, they'll strike. Well, John, with the frogs too, you know, if you're dragging that frog across the lily pad or something like that, all that bass can see is maybe a shadow and some motion. But that's what I love about fishing for both smallmouth and largemouth. They will eat anything. They are, uh, when they're hungry, they are hungry. And that's what makes it fun. Well, that's absolutely true. And, you know, when we go out to fish at night, we completely dispense with the white belly and, you know, fish either with a uh, black one usually or, or some darker color. If you fishers, guys and ladies too, have want to chime in on that, can a bass see more of a topwater, especially topwater frog, than just the uh, belly? And you want to chime in on your opinion of... Uh, whether this stuff is relevant or not, call the Fish Nerds hotline at 607-378-3474, 607-378-FISH, Fish Nerds hotline. So, John, every time we do this segment, we want to rate the lures on a scale of 1 to 11 because 10 is not good enough for us when it comes to lures. So, what is your rating of the topwater frog? 11. This one goes to 11, without a doubt. It's like... You know, most frogs only go to 10, but the topwater frog, 11. Absolute 11. Absolute 11, Tim. Very, very good spinal tap imitation. <laughs> I, I, I like that. So, John, I developed a mathematical formula to rate lures, and I adapted it from Einstein's theory of relativity equation, and I substituted <laughs> a lure's color, shape, and past fishing success for Einstein's mass, energy, and speed of light. And based on that formula, topwater frog, it scores a perfect 11. And it's science, so it can't be wrong. That's right. You're hearing this, Doc Martin? It's science, so it can't be wrong. Mr. B, he's got it going on. All right. I think that wraps it up. It would be great if people want a specific lure for us to talk about. Go to that Fish Nerds Facebook group and uh, and let us know. What should we be talking about next after the topwater frogs? What's your favorite lure? And, and uh, give it well, to us, care. and we'll chew on it for a while. Thank you, Mr. Tim Beat, for coming with us tonight. And we will get together again and do this again soon, I hope, sir. All right. I'll see you next time, John. See y'all next time on Lure Love. Peace out.
Well, all right. That was a lot of fun. What do you think of that segment, Zoe? It was weird. Yeah, it is weird. Pretty much everything that uh, Tim and the Crappie Hippie do for us is weird, and that's why we love them. That is. We're happy to have them here. All right. What do you say we jump into some fish in the news? Zoe? Sounds good. Hit that orange button. Wait. Okay, great. Sounds good. Hit that orange button. Orange button. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the news. And this first story is from the New York Times. This Massachusetts story- town begs residents to stop calling 911 about fish. Yeah, I wasn't saying anything. <laughs> Just jump in anytime you want. <laughs> Keep going. (laughs) I'm sorry. I really needed to say that. (laughs) Keep going. Oh, some in Warham, Mass, worried the enormous blob-like fish was stranded. Others thought it was a shark. It turned out to be a sunfish. And town officials urged residents to stop reporting it. And Dad, how would you say that in Massachusetts? Okay, so to authenticate this story, it's really important that we use uh, the proper accents for this. Now, being... Uh, someone who used to teach in Massachusetts makes me an expert, and therefore I can uh, do a perfect Massachusetts accent. So I will do that for you now, by the way. Some of the calls reported an injured seal. Others said they had seen a shock. Still others implored officials to help what appeared to be a stranded fish. It's a freaking shock. <laughs> by early afternoon on Monday, dozens of people had called emergency officials at Warham on the southeast coast of Massachusetts. The town's department of natural resources dispatched two offices to investigate. Thank you. Thank you. Settle. Settle down. <laughs> it's going to be okay. <laughs> they soon discovered the odd-looking creature lolling in the cove of Buzzards Bay with no cause for alarm. It was an ocean sunfish, an enormous blob-like creature that eats jellyfish and has a dorsal fin that to the untrained eye can be resembled that of a shark. <laughs> We, we like to eat him in our chowder on the parkway with a fuck. <laughs> That's the whole story, really. Uh, yeah. The calls have become so voluminous, however, that the Warham Department of Natural Resources was compelled to issue a plea on Facebook. The fish was swimming, it said, adding, it's not stranded or suffering. The fish, sunfish, is fine. It added. It added, please stop calling the police department about the sunfish. Right. And if you would do that like a Kennedy would read it, you'd go, era, era, it's not stranded or suffering. The sunfish is fine. It added, please stop calling the police department about the sunfish. Era, era. Gary Buckminster, the department's director of Warham's Harbor Master, said he began getting calls from the concerned residents as early as 6.30 a.m. on Monday. Of course, in Massachusetts, you would say 6.30 a.m. in the morning because it's important to say it twice. That's what I learned. You did? Oh, yeah. That's, right. that's a fun fact about Massachusetts. State law, you have to say a.m. and morning in the same sentence. Just like if you say p.m., you have to say afternoon afterwards. Like we had lunch at 12 p.m. in the afternoon, which is redundant. I know. It's wicked smart. That's from Massachusetts. I'm from Warham. I'm from Worcester. I'm from Lawrence. 
So that's our first story. I think you've asked a good story, Zoe. Yeah, I think so too. Um, <clears throat> what do you think about these ocean sunfishes? Do you think that you would worry about it and call the police? I don't think so, no, because I know what they are. Because you're smart. I'm smart. I'm wicked smart. I'm wicked smart. <laughs> wicked Wh- smart. It's a wicked smart. It's a tuna. Maybe it's a tuna fish already. I actually don't know what a tuna fish looks like. It looks, so. like, a, <laughs> looks like a giant shark. All right. This is from Inceptive Mind. By the way, that's the end of that story. This is from InceptiveMind.com. Engineers build an untethered squid robot for underwater exploration. This is really cool. Engineers at the University of California, San Diego, built a squid-like robot that can swim untethered, propelling itself by generating jets of water. The squid robot carries its own power source and is made mostly from soft materials like acrylic polymer, polymer, <laughs> polymer with a few rigid 3D printed and laser cut parts. It can also carry a waterproof camera or a different type of sensor for underwater exploration. Soft robotics are, are used to ensure the safety of fish and corals, which can be damaged by rigid robots in case they crash, I guess. Uh, the problem with soft, soft robots is, oh, they move slow and they have a difficult time maneuvering, the team of robotics and computer simulation experts turn to cephalopods as a good model to solve some of these issues because cephalopods are soft-bodied animals. The next step is to improve the robot's efficiency and ability to maneuver, go faster, by reworking the nozzle that expels water. Guess where the nozzle is? It's butt. It's a butt. They are jet butt propelled. They're butt propelled. Yep. They squirt water out their butt. That's how they go. That's science. Hashtag science. Let's yep. do let's do one more story for you. This is one other one that Zoe brought to the Fish Nerds this week. And this is a story we've covered actually before, but this year is different because of COVID-19. This is from the Houston Herald. And the headline, Zoe, read it. Fish will fly in rescheduled Gulf Coast event. Yes, rescheduled Gulf Coast event. This is exciting news here. Once canceled amid the coronavirus concerns, the annual mullet toss is back on again at the popular roadhouse in the Florida-Alabama state line. Um, A mullet, by the way, is a what, Zoe? It's a hair. It's a bad haircut and also a fish with a bad haircut. In the annual event the Florabama Lounge, at the Florabama Lounge, <laughs> the contestants throw dead fish from a point in Florida across the state line vying for distance records. The April event was postponed this year due to the spread of COVID-19, but it will now happen October 23rd through 25th. That's really good news, Zoe. It is. So yep. people can... Um Throw fish. Yeah, hooray. Hooray. <laughs> hooray for fish throwing on Florabama. Who, by the way, these fish throwers also have mullets because they're in Florabama. Yep, because they're in Florabama. And this is how invasive species spread. That's right. They're going to be these invasive mullets. By the way, bad haircuts are also a bad uh, invasive thing. They're very invasive. Yeah. They're not mandatory that anybody wear a mask, you said, because they're an outdoor event. But you are welcome to wear a mask if you want to. And, uh, no one's going to look at you funny. They will look at you funny because you're throwing mullets. I think that's where the funny is going to come from. So anyway, you can check all that out. I'm sure you can go to YouTube and watch it live as it unfolds. And that is Fish in the News. Hit that orange button. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the news. Without any further ado, we're going to jump into my conversations with Michael Willette with his Kickstarter campaign for his new product coming right to market now called Spreadem, which is an, an outrigger, which I could have used this summer a lot. So we hit the um, the blue button. Which blue? Bright blue. Bright blue. 
Hello, fish nerds. We're super excited because we've got Michael Willett from Auburn, Maine. And I've known Michael for, gosh, probably as long as the fish nerds has been around. I've been seeing him at different fishing shows since uh, probably 2011 or 12, pretty a long time. And Michael, in my experience of Michael, is he's an inventor. He always has kind of unique ideas for fishing and some cool stuff. And we've had him on before to talk about this product. It's called Spreadem. And I think this time he's really going to make it happen. This is a product I believe in. It's pretty cool. But we're going to let Michael tell us all about it. Michael, how are you? Great. Um, how are you doing, Clay? I'm doing great. Welcome to the podcast. Good. It's good to see you again. Thanks. I can't wait to see you in, in real life again once this whole COVID crisis is over and we can start getting back to some sort of normal life again. Yeah, the, the last time we spoke, we were trying to set up some uh, little bit of fishing off your, your um, pontoon boat. And, and uh, the spread of that we're, we're talking about today is can work on any boat. So we were, we we're going to go down and hook it up to your pontoon boat and put it in action. But we, were, we sort of got sidetracked with this COVID thing. So, but... It's in the works. It's in the works. And now you're really moving forward. So you're on Kickstarter now. Your campaign just launched. You go to kickstarter.com and just search for Spreadem. It's spread-em is how you search it up. And we'll put links up on our website and in the show notes so people can find it pretty easily. But essentially what this is, and correct me if I'm wrong, these are portable downriggers on a telescoping rod that allows you to hook up a whole bunch of lines at one time so you don't get tangled. That's pretty much what it is. Well, it isn't a it, it isn't a downrigger. It's downrigger. an outrigger. Outrigger. My brain. <laughs> it sticks out the side of your boat, and you can run it three different lengths: ten feet, fifteen feet, and eighteen feet off the side of your boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, independent rod holder, so you don't lose a rod holder for using the system. But uh, I recommend every five feet putting out a line, so you can add an three extra lines if you're out at 18 feet off the side of your boat. And uh, it just puts more lines in the water. And a lot of people fish off the back with the downriggers or they're limited on space. But with this this unit, it's all portable and you can mount it on your boat. And uh, it, it allows you to put more lines towards the front of the boat uh, while maintaining the, the lines you usually run off the back. So I can, I can have a couple of downriggers in the back of my boat, put these up in the front of my boat and get six more lines in the water, and they'll be far enough away so when I make those big turns, I'm not going to tangle up all in my, uh, in my own lines. Because this has been my problem. I've been guiding all summer, and we've been trolling around for lake trout and salmon, and there are times where I get my lines all in one loop, all tangled together, and I don't notice. So I could be driving around for like a 25 minutes or an hour, with a big tangle back there, have no clue. And this is going to solve that problem, isn't it? Right. And uh, usually how you uh, put out your lines, it's basically uh, some run off the top, some run off the bottom. You don't know where the fish are, right. but you want to cover as much area as you can. So uh, with the separation of about five feet, um, you should have no problem. I haven't had any problem unless, of course, um, um, you lose control of your boat. that happens you've never been a guide have you (laughs) because here's here's what invariably happens he's gonna love this so you get people on the boat and you put the lines in the water and you ask a client to just hold the steering wheel of the boat straight 
and they get distracted talking and drinking beer with their buddies and they let go of the wheel. Next thing you know, while you're working lines in the back of the boat, the boat has now made a quick, sharp turn to the right. Right. And all your lines, all that work you've done is wrecked or even worse. And this is what I'm going to love is by having the lines further away from the boat, it would solve this problem. The prop chops off your fishing lines, which has happened. My clients right. make this happen sometimes. Maybe That's a complete U-turn on that one. Oh, my God. I don't want to badmouth clients because they're actually really great. But they're, they're not there to pay attention. They're there to do what you tell them to do. And mostly they want to hang out and talk and reel a right, fish up right. every so often. So, I, right. I, so you're back. And this is running on, on Kickstarter for the next oh, two months. And right. you're trying to raise $50,000. And is that going to be enough money to bring this to full market? Uh, it'll, it'll bring us to, um, the original run. We're doing a, a, a run of the product. We're pre-selling it. So the more people who buy it at a discounted rate, you save a hundred bucks, uh, we'll include it in our first run. But, um, this was supposed to happen, um, in February. Mm -hmm. Well, you've been working on this for years too. uh, Yes. And, uh, I've invested a lot of money to it. Uh, it's, the last part of it. And then, um, of course, it, it'll be coming to market because we've had the full uh, manufacturing process put together. We've already done it because we had to get ready for um, the ICAST show, which we we were at uh, in 2019. So we are, we're ready to go. It's just um, the last step. Good. And, and so $50,000 is a pretty good amount of money. It's not a ton of money compared to what it costs to get these things out to market, but this is pre-selling it. And it is selling on Kickstarter. You've got lots of different levels of supports. People can get uh, something as small as a pen or they can buy the whole, the whole product from you. And you've raised $436 so far. This is brand new. Brand, brand new. Just brand started new. yesterday. Yeah. Um, the words getting out, um, but a lot of people have approached me because they do want to add more lines to the boat. Um, the real release clips are similar to what you use for your downrigger, so it has enough tension. But um, we we have a specially designed one that clips on the line. It goes with a loop pre pre size, so. Uh, it's very easy, color-coded for the 10, 15, and 18 feet. So it's it's not complicated at all. That's good. Um, I need simple. Very simple. <laughs> uh, so it, it's, it's eight sections. Mm-hmm. And uh, to increase or decrease the length, you just pull off a section. Perfect. And uh, it, it works very good. I've used it on a 12-foot boat. Uh, I've used it just about on a bass boat, a center console. I was hoping to get some video off your boat, uh, uh, the pontoon boat. But uh, the idea is for it to work on anybody's boat. It's not you don't have to have a, a big honking ocean boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can use it for anything. So good. Uh, th- and this mounts and this mounts in your rod holders, or where's how's it mount the boat? Well. Uh, it comes in a kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the rod, um, the two independent rod holders. They mount on a Cabela Scotty Stealth uh, boat mount. So it, you probably already have one on your boat already. I've got the Scotty. But it comes, yeah. yeah, it comes with a mount in the kit. Perfect. So uh, 
And it's very easy to put together. It takes about uh, 10 minutes from beginning to end. Uh, and it's even quicker taking it down. It's, it's not very hard to put together and, and uh, it, it works great. Good. Carbon, fiber, carbon fiber rod, uh, very durable. Uh, in, in, if you go to the Kickstarter campaign, you'll see me run over the rod with my truck. Yeah, don't do that again. It no, no. makes me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that was the second take, too. So. <laughs> well, the first one, <laughs> you had to do it twice because you didn't get a good film. That You're like, oh, it worked uh, no, the first time. Uh, Let's try again. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not very good at the video stuff, and yeah. uh, this is all new to me. So, But uh, we got it on the second take. You did it. Now, can I ask you a question, just practical use? So I'm driving around my lake. I use both lead core and monofilament sometimes I'm, I'm up on top sometimes down the bottom does leg core work with a outrigger uh yes it does anything that you can hook up off your downrigger mm -hmm. release you can do the same thing off this uh outrigger uh it's the same similar type of clip mm -hmm. i've used lead core i've used floating i use uh, front sinking uh i've used everything off off this lures flies live bait mm -hmm. so it'll it'll pull uh it'll hold on to anything of course there's an adjustment on the release to give you more attention but usually you just clip it right at the tip of the release and away you go well that's really cool and one of our policies here at fish nerds if we have someone running a kickstarter campaign and we have them on their show we have them on their show because we believe in the product and we believe in this product so i've backed you on the full amount because I want this on my boat, and I'm excited about this for you. So um, I'm one of your awesome. first backers. I'm kind of excited about it, and uh, we'll be talking about it all month long. Now, from a fishing standpoint, first of all, you love trolling. That's obvious because you, this is the product you're making. Right. What's your favorite go-to lure to troll for a salmon? Uh, to be honest with you, I'm a live bait kind of guy. So you, do you uh, sew on bait, or how do you rig it up? I, I've done the sewn on bait, but I usually do live bait with a slider. Uh, goes to the front part of the lip of the, the bait fish, and it goes to the dorsal fin. It's a, I don't use treble hooks. I just use um, small hooks, um, number eights uh, or sixes. It, it doesn't make a difference. Um, and uh, I will use that slider and let the fish swim by itself. While it's being dragged behind the boat. Correct. <laughs> Perfect. But, you know, this, uh, because um, uh, with the outrigger, I like to use fly rods. Mm -hmm. um, I use flies while trolling, but uh, the live bait seems to work the best for me. And, uh, and the good part about it is when you have all these lines out there and they're not getting tangled, you're keeping bait in the water longer to get the second and third hit, you know, on the strike. So um, that's a, that's the other plus. Well, that's cool. So I'm I'm trying to visualize. I've never fished with with uh, outriggers before, so I'm trying to visualize. Let's say you got three lines going off each side of the boat, and right. the, the middle line on the the stern of the boat pops. Stern the right word? The, the right side of the boat, <laughs> the port yeah, side yeah. of the boat pops off. And it just flies right back to the back of the boat. And then you just, because of the color code, you know which rod to pick up or just, I, no, how do uh, I keep my the, brain on this? <laughs> so what happens is um, you put the clip in, the pulley system brings it out to the end of the rod. Uh, when the fish hits, 
um, it'll release from the the um, the release, and uh, it'll sit in the water because your boat has it's it sort of the the fishes hit the bait. He'll turn around and hit it again. He doesn't normally or always take it the first time, but uh, once it releases, it's dead in the water and it floats mm. until, of course, the, the boat picks up the slack. When you're trolling, the outside line is always further out than the inside line. Uh, when, you, you know, when the line comes back around, you don't want um, them to get tangled from the release. So if it's the middle one, the one close to the boat is shorter from the back of the boat anyway. So it's from trolling. The outside one is the furthest away. Then the middle one is like middle midway. And the one close to the boat, of course, is not as far as all those. So when they hit, the fish brings it towards the back of the boat and you don't have tangles. Oh, and with having the other lines far from the boat, you don't tangle while you're fighting the fishing either. So, so correct. Oh, I'm in. I am in. So I'm happy to have backed this product, project, product, project, and product. And I could have used this all summer this year. It would have been really great. Well, I was so, hoping to come down and yeah. uh, and uh, go off the boat. It's, uh, but we'll make plans for this coming year and, well, and get some video. We'll have to because you know when when this is going to be ready in August 2021. Is that what your your website says? Well, we're, we're uh, hoping to get it manufactured just after the, the first of the year, and then it's uh, about 90 days. Oh, that's not bad. So, yeah, the the August thing is for uh, delivery of shirts, and we have, uh, you can see the hat, uh, camo, um, and we have uh, our new logo with the fish in the background mm -hmm. uh, that are going to be on the shirts and, and all that stuff. So. Um, that's that's when it comes in the shirts and the the hats. All right. So this time, no matter what, when this comes in and when they're ready to go after you've hit your Kickstarter goal, when when these come in, you're going to deliver this to me by hand. This will be in April now, probably. And, yeah, and I'll bring back, <laughs> I'll bring but down another one so we can run them off both sides of the boat. Okay, and then you can you can give me a full lesson on how to run. <laughs> how it to is, run this. It is so so easy. It comes with directions. Mm -hmm breaks everything down, uh, how to use it. it, it it's very simplistic. It, it isn't something that, um, well, outriggers right now, they send you the box and the rod and all that stuff, and you have to put it together yourself. This is all pre-done. You can Once you open up the box, it's ready to rock. Oh, I can't wait. I'm excited about it. So, well, congratulations, Michael. I know you've been working on this for years. You've been working on a lot of other things too, but this seems to be where the kind of the, the kind of culmination of all the work you've been doing. I'm really excited for you. I'm really proud of you. I'm excited to see where this goes next. And I hope that you reach your Kickstarter goals. And again, Fish Nerds listeners, you can go to uh, kickstarter.com and just search for Spreadem with a spread dash E-M or go to the show notes and click on the link if you want to support this project. And any amount of money helps a lot. I mean, if every listener gave just a few bucks, you can be at your goal. And that would be huge. So even if you just and buy I, a T-shirt, you know, do it. And I know people, uh, you know, uh, uh, rubbing sometimes rubbing two pennies together. But it takes a lot of if you've ever done a project and brought something to the market, there's a lot involved with it. So whatever they can do, I'd really appreciate it. And uh, I, I really appreciate you having me on your show, Clay. Uh, you you always follow the 
the cutting edge and uh, you work with the fishing community and I really have to say a shout out. Thank you very much. And, and um, all the people who are listening to this program, thanks for taking a moment and listening to it. Once you go to the Kickstarter, uh, Kickstarter site, you'll see video of how it works and everything. So uh, thank you for your time. All right. Well, thank you, Michael Willett, for coming on. We really appreciate it. And the fish nerds are very happy to be backing this product. And we can't wait to get you on the boat this spring to test out these for real. Because, uh, Zoe, you've been on the boat when I've tangled up lines when we're trolling. Yes, I have. He's made me do untangle them sometimes, That's right. Too. I make you do the work. <laughs> and so this will really solve that problem. Thank you, Michael Willett. Now, we have one more thing we need to talk about. And this is the God of Filet-O-Fish. Zoe, what is a Filet-O-Fish? It is a cheap sandwich. It is a cheap sandwich from where? McDonald's. From McDonald's. Have you had one before? No. I only ever get chicken nuggets. (laughs) So for those who don't know, uh, a filet fish sandwich is a a square hunk of meat at McDonald's with with, um, tartar sauce, American cheese on two pieces of, um, not one piece, on one hamburger bun. That's it. That's as simple a sandwich as you can get. Do you know what kind of fish is in the filet fish Zoe? Uh, the easiest thing to catch. Whatever they can mush up into a ball and spread out into a cube. Yeah, it's mullet. No, it's not mullet. It should be mullet because that would be sustainable. It is actually Alaskan pollock, according to McDonald's website. Which is probably not true, to be honest. Uh, well, it probably is. Pollock are, pollock are huge, yeah, very popular, huge numbers. Oh, okay. It's in the cod family. Uh, they're delicious fish. Um, but anyway, that's what it is. All so right. this is from Pedestrian. This is actually a blog, a food blogger. And the headline is, I ate filet fish burger at, for every meal of the day for a whole month. Sorry, a whole Week. weekend. Whole, Week. I can't read. Will you read it? I ate a filet fish burger for every meal of the day for a whole week, and now I've seen God. Yeah, now that's Australian, so you need to read it in Australian. I ate a filet of fish burger for every meal of the day for a whole week, and now I've seen God. Forgot one word. Good day. There you go. Perfect. That's how you do Australian. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Now we're going to have Australian protesters. All right. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to read some of his blog posts and give some commentary on it, let you know how it went. Okay. So... First of all, he describes a filet fish as a burger. Uh, and so that's that's problematic to begin with because yes, it, is. It's it is not a burger, it's a square of <laughs> it's a square of fish. <laughs> Fried. Fried so. square of fish with a tartar sauce yeah. and American cheese. Yeah, so he started off uh, <laughs> eating his first breakfast on a Monday morning. Usually he has cereal or some other breakfast adjacent dish like uh, toast or bacon and eggs, but this day he had filet of fish He described the filet of fish as holding up surprisingly well for the first breakfast of the week. The imitation brioche bun, I like that, goes down as a treat at this time of day, and the fish patty is kind of edible before midday, and the tartar sauce is tolerable. So that's a good start. The tolerant tartar sauce, by the way, on these is always this kind of weird, lukewarm feeling. Oh, it's, it's... Midday on Monday, he had to have his lunch, his second filet of fish of the day. This time, there's no immediate smack of flavor, but the burger's more-ish. Nonetheless, it's no longer a treat, but rather a sustenance that he's craving. And by dinner time, he has no desire to eat any more food for that day, but he doesn't anyway. So it's a very funny article. We'll put a link up on our fishners.com. We're going to jump ahead to Wednesday, because by Wednesday now, he's been eating it for a few days. You want to read uh, this, Zoe? 
By now, everyone's been telling me my breath stinks. For one, I don't blame the fillet of fish. Maybe it's just my gut flora up to no good. Yeah, gut flora. Oh, and I've also completely lost my appetite by now. I constantly feel full. Eating is but a folly distraction on my is is but a fully distraction my only weak only the weak partake in the cool. cool nevertheless breakfast must go on by lunchtime it's a chore and by dinner it's the same story sounds like he's not really enjoying it no i wouldn't enjoy it either i think i might I you might, might but now, you're um, different the picture of this by the way is awful because it's this hairy man with a beard and a mouthful of fish. It's on his lips and teeth and mm, delight. <laughs> delight. Let's chip, skip ahead to Friday. <laughs> this is where it gets kind of fun. His, his uh, text in this becomes hard to read. Friday, I became more slovenly with each bite as the days go on. From breakfast onwards, there's always tartar sauce on my face now. And the aura that flows from with, with, with me wherever I go smells amazing. I can only imagine... At lunch, I wipe the tartar sauce on my face as a kind of absolution before consuming the flesh of Ronald McDonald himself. Now we're getting religious. Think as Ronald McDonald as Jesus in this case. The fish and bun is an earthly body, but there's no wine to signify the blood. The tartar sauce will suffice. By Saturday, I soar high above the mortals in the street who are beholden to their free, feeble notions of hunger. I ragingly lust for the filet of fish it emanates from the bowels of my bowels as I wait in line for the Maccas for breakfast. No, I'm not hungry, you fools. I am devoted. It's getting religious now. He looks terrible. Yeah. He... <laughs> so we're going to skip ahead just a little bit to where it really gets uh, weird. Really weird. Religious. Really weird. Yeah. So Sunday. Sunday. Every time I consume the burger, the burger consumes me. The filet of fish and I become one more intimately than any bond known to mankind thus far. I'll, and I'll do this one. You want to do this? Go ahead. Agios, oh barf mouth, keeper of the filet of fish. Now, I think you need to read this not like Harry Potter, but more like a Catholic priest. Agios, oh of you. <laughs> no, that's, you're more <laughs> Harry Potter than ever. It would go, may the fertiles of the terrestrial paradise be irrigated with the blood of who I just lust for the filet o fish. Through my miraculous immaculate. Con- immaculate consumption, we become unified as one. <laughs> That's perfect. Priest imitation. It is? Way. Yes. Okay. If it was a Boston priest, <laughs> we become wicked unified as one. <laughs> In conclusion, the flail fish is a good burg. Nine out of ten. Highly recommended. <laughs> if you don't believe it, give it a shot yourself. Anyway, it's a very fun read. If you get a chance, check it out. We'll put a link up in the show notes. Um, Zoe, I was curious, what if anything, uh, would you want to eat one meal of every single day for a week? And you have to be specific. You can't just say leftovers. That's right. not fair. All right. Good point. Um, give me a minute on this. All right, I'm going to tell you a story of when I first moved to New Hampshire. And this is one you've heard before, but I'm going to tell you mm-hmm. it again. Uh, so when I first moved to New Hampshire from New Jersey, uh, in New Jersey, blue food dye was illegal in 1991 when I moved to New Hampshire. And uh, one of my favorite cereals as a kid was booberry cereal. There's Frankenberry blueberry, and Count Chocula. And I love blueberry cereal. Not because it tastes like blueberries. It doesn't taste anything like blueberries at all. It's just because it's blue colored. So I moved to New Hampshire and 
blueberry cereal was a legal thing. You could buy it at the store. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. For the next week, all I'm going to do is eat blueberry cereal. So I bought like eight or 10 boxes of blueberry cereal. And all I did was eat blueberry cereal and milk. And by day four, everything that came out of my body was colored like blueberries. So even my blueberries <laughs> were blue colored. <laughs> I, I even took Polaroids of it, which I can't find anymore. Some days, Zoe, <laughs> when I'm dead and gone, you're cleaning out my stuff, you're going to find a box with pipper, pictures of bright blue poop in it. And that oh, will be, no. you'll go, oh, I remember this story. I love oh, my dad. <laughs> why did you take pictures? Wait, you didn't tell me you took pictures of your poo. I thought you took pictures of it, like your teeth and your spit and your cereal. What fun is that? Good point. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were to pick one meal that you can eat for a week and only one thing, what would it be? Uh, tacos. Tacos is a great choice. Three meals a day of tacos. I'm in. Three meals a day of tacos. I'm in. I could do cheeseburgers like that. Yeah, same here. Could you do filet of fish No. No, the problem with filet of fish is it doesn't taste that good the first day. Yeah. So it'd be tough to tolerate for three, four days in. I agree that. All right. Well, that was our story. And that is our show, in fact. So we're going to wrap up this show here. We want to uh, start off by thanking our Patreon supporters. We have a couple of supporters giving us $25 a month. And then if you do that, we will name your business on the podcast. First one is Josh Lopes at lopestax.com. You need your taxes done. Josh is a great guy for it. The other one is Beth Met. Now, Beth Metz does not have a business, but if you, in the middle of the night, go into your bathroom with a flashlight pointed just under your chin and all the lights off, and you say, Bethany Metz, Bethany Metz, Bethany Metz, <laughs> 20 times in the mirror, she will show up in the dark in your house. And uh, you're welcome for that one. You're welcome. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I would scare the hell out of me. but you know. I would too. But I love Beth. All I right. might try. Yeah, Beth <laughs> no, Metz. I'm not going Beth to. Metz. Beth Metz. Near I mean, Halloween. It would be funny. But yeah. <laughs> All right. No. Weird. All right. Well, thank them. Anyway, if you want to support the podcast, right. patreon.com slash fish nerds and give us a little bit of money. Uh, starting next week, we'll be doing a weekly, a monthly giveaway from Patreon. If you subscribe, your name will be in the hat. Next week, I'm giving away some of our books from our fish nerds book clubs. And if I can find some stickers, we'll throw in some stickers too. Uh, so that's it. You've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Special thanks to Tim Beat and John King for their new segment, Lure Love. Big thanks to Tim Beat's daughter, who I don't know her name because Tim didn't tell me for the new, new music for that segment. That was very, very good, and we like it. Also, thank you to Wally Pleasant for our opening theme music and Diana's Bath Salts for our news theme. Until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. Swim against the current every chance you get. That's it, Zoe. You made a podcast. Congratulations. I made a podcast. Thank you. Whether did you're it. fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Just for the halibut. Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast.